Welcome to Voices from the Bench, a dental laboratory podcast. Send us an email at info at voicesfromthebench.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Greetings and welcome to episode 249 of Voices from the Bench. My name is Elvis. And my name is Barbara. I was going to say Texas because I was reading something. (laughs) Well, my name's Barbara. As always. Can we just call you Squirrel? Sure. (laughs) Happy New Year 2023. We sit at the beginning days of it. Oh, so happy it's the new year. It's going to be a great year. We have so many great things lined up in this industry. Mm -hmm. I mean, right off the bat, Vision 21, looking pretty exciting. I know you're going to be there. Oh, yeah. You're not going to be there? I'm going to try. Still trying, but we'll see. Gotcha. I'm excited for Lab Day Chicago. We're going to be in the Ivaclar Ballroom, Mm -hmm. the Grand Ballroom, not the mediocre one, but the Grand grand Ballroom. Room. Then IDS is happening, which I think you said you were going to try to go to. Going to try. And then Texas is back in its usual March place again. Awesome. All sorts of shows just lining up. We're ready. Let's do it. Yeah, they announced new ladies of the mill going back to Chattanooga. All right. In July. Yep. I mean, so many great things are lining up. I think it's going to be a fantastic year. I know it's going to be a fantastic year. <laughs> This week, we welcome to the podcast someone that has helped revolutionize zirconia milling back in the day, Rob Nazell. If you're in this industry and you did any zirconia back in the early 2010s, you probably use CAP. Oh, yes. Or was known as Custom Automated Prosthetics. Rob came from a real nerdy software background, but was fascinated when he saw his first intraoral scanner. Partnering up with a few great people in dental, Rob went on to start one of the best places back in, back the, in day. the day to get a crown milled, and then eventually one of the best places to get three shape from or even buy a mill. But after about seven years, Rob wanted to do something else. Now he's taken all that experience from CAP where he was collecting data and he started Icortica. Which I love that name, just saying. It's a great name. Now you've been hearing the ads for the last few weeks. But this week, we get to talk to Rob and dive deep into what it is and what it can do for your lab. I swear, I use this myself every day. It's a great software, and every lab should look into it. Yeah. It is a great story of a startup to great success to pivoting to help our industry in a whole new way. So join us as we chat with Rob Nazell from Icortica right after this Icortica ad. Outside of the podcast, I actually have a real job. I know, it's hard to believe. I get to work directly with dental offices to provide amazing smiles to patients. But don't we all? But I do it with data instead of a handpiece or a mill. I use data that most labs already have but don't know how to access it or use it. Enter iCortica. I-C-O-R-T-I-C-A. If your lab is already using Magic Touch, great, you're halfway there. If you aren't, then go get Magic Touch just so you can use iCortica. It will be worth it. Let's be honest, access to easy to understand information is the key to any sales or customer service position. Did I mention that they have bar graphs? This is exactly what iCortica does for me on a daily basis. 
Every morning, I wake up to an email showing me the risks and the opportunities across all of the customers. I can then dive in to see specific customer information and look at so much like sales by product, trends by category or restoration. I can see all the notes and I can even see their remake percentage. It allows me to know who I should talk to about what without having to spend hours digging into production software or making a ton of Excel spreadsheets. It's all right there. Every metric I need to be successful. So do yourself and your lab a favor and head over to icortica.com forward slash voices or send Rob Nazelle an email at rob at icortica.com and start understanding your dental offices in a way you never had before. Check out this episode's show notes for all of those links, and we thank you for your support of the podcast, Icortica, and I personally thank you for making my job easier. Voices from the Bench The Interview Oh, like a gazelle. Gazelle. Well, there you go. You got something in your back pocket. Yes. From now on. <laughs> That's why I'm here. I'm the smart one. You are. I like that. Now you gave me something to tell people. That's great. <laughs> We'd like right. to welcome Let's to the podcast today a gentleman who I've actually been able to reconnect with, with my new role at Derby, and we'll get into all of that. Rob Nazelle, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Welcome. Thank Super you. Time. So, Rob, I'm just going to get right into the big thing, which is you started CAP. Yes. C-A-P. We've had somebody on the podcast that said, I hope my company doesn't do what CAP did. <laughs> and I think you know what we're talking about. Well, I don't know what you're talking about. Just saying. So let's get into it, Rob. Well, let's start at the beginning. <laughs> wow. Okay. Is this not a good way to start? <laughs> It's kind of negative, Jesus. I was going to ask how you got into the industry, but maybe that was your first parlay into the industry. Well, okay. Let's start over. Maybe it was a little negative. I didn't mean it to be. Uh Uh-huh. Kind of roll that direction, you know. You know me, always wanting to stir the pot. Wow, okay, let's go. (laughs) So, Rob, welcome to the podcast. Tell us, how did you get into the industry? Uh, I started, actually uh, studied computer science in college. And was very much into entrepreneurship. So I had gotten into a number of startups. And a friend of mine that I worked with in California came to business school out in Massachusetts when I was here in Mass. Mm-hmm. And he had uh, stumbled across a technology that was a 3D scanning technology. Ultimately, they actually ended up starting a company called Brontus Technologies. And he kept trying to recruit me into this company. And I kept saying, I don't know anything about dental. I don't know anything about 3D scanning. And uh, I don't know why this would make sense for me. Anyway, after six months of talking through it and seeing demonstrations of this thing, I got to see this magical device that did 3D video-based scanning in the mouth. And I just got this chill down my spine. And I just said, you know, I don't know enough about this stuff, but just like every other industry I've been in, I think I can figure it out. And so I joined the company. So when was this? What, yeah, what year how long are we ago? talking? This was back in 2006. 
Oh, wow. so I was actually at a network security company and transitioned into dental. Like that, that was my, That's that crazy. was quite, quite a wild transition. And this was an intraoral scanner? Yeah. So it was an intraoral scanner. It was the first video based intraoral scanner. So prior to that, there was, you know, like the point and click kind of scanning technique sure. with yeah. Yeah. And so yeah. we, we just had a different approach and they had figured out most of the scanning part of it by the time I had gotten there, but the whole connection to the laboratory was missing. So like, what do you do with the scan once you, you know, once you get the scan, that was a huge question back in 2006, because yeah. most labs were used to taking the, you know, the traditional impression or, you know, but many of them were working with, you know, scanners in the lab where they scan the mm -hmm. model, mm -hmm. but that whole, that whole connection point, like, what do you do when you don't have a dental model? And, you know, all these question marks about, is it accurate enough and all that stuff. So I actually came in, I had the honor of working with super smart people in the company and also really great people from the industry as well. Like Mike Gerard was my mentor there. Oh, teaching I, like me all about, yeah. I love him so much. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so that was my entry point into dental. You mentioned previously you were in another couple startups, anything yes. that became big, anything that we would know, or were they all just kind of testing the water? The first one was a company called Trilogy down in Austin, Texas. It was more of an enterprise uh, software company. And then we spun off a business called PC Order, which actually was back in 1997. If you ever like, configured a computer online, most likely you were using our technology to configure that computer. Interesting. So, um, so that was, you know, again, it's like not the sexiest thing in the world. No, but, you know, Big pretty nerd. cool for yeah. a nerd like me. Yeah. <laughs> and Elvis. <laughs> so we did that. And then, uh, the next one was, uh, was almost like a home advisor company out in California that I had, you know, my, my friend, Michael Rosenblum, who ended up being one of the founders of Brontis. He was a co-founder at that company as well. And that was right during the, the dot bomb period. So the sure. dot com bubble was bursting right around then. And then the network security company actually became part of a, a much bigger security company. But these are, I think both these businesses pretty much most people haven't heard of them. So nothing, yeah. nothing that big. Yeah. Well, you got to also remember this is what, late 90s, early 2000s before yeah, everybody right. and their mother made an app oh, that yeah. does everything. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, this was early on. Yeah. And so Brontus then became part of 3M. Oh, yeah. Pretty soon after I had joined, we had figured out how to get crowns to fit from the scan data. And then and when 3M acquired us, I stayed there for three years bringing the product. The product still wasn't in the market when we were acquired. So the commercialization project happened within 3M and became the Lava COS. Oh, God. Wow. And then renamed later to the true depth scanner yeah so it has quite a quite a history there but when i joined 3m i went around and visited all the lava laboratories remember lava like when copings were like 95 dollars just for the zirconia coping yeah <laughs> you still had to do a lot of work after yep. <laughs> you still had a lot of work to go yeah yeah, yeah and, and zirconia i mean lava used to be interchangeable with with the word zirconia, you know, it, wasn't lava weird. just a name brand of zirconia? Yeah, yeah that's what was. I thought. Very, very, very early, early. Yeah, no shades, all just stark white, right? 
That's right. Yeah. yeah. That's about when I came into the industry. I mean, I remember seeing a lot of lava, but I didn't really understand it. Yeah, they were basically these quarter million dollar machines that made copings. And at the time, it was pretty revolutionary. Mm. And it was the only way to, to really make a highly accurate restoration or, you know, coping. There was also um, Procera, of course, yeah. at, at the same time. And so those were the two main products. But, you know, the, the model was that these milling centers would basically, you know, buy a machine or, you know, multiple machines and, and you know, take outsource work. Yeah. So that's how I met a bunch of the laboratories, a bunch of the larger laboratories. As I went around on a tour to uh, to meet all of them and talk about how we can get the scan data to them as part of the 3M business. And then I also met my future business partner, Bob Cohen, through that because he had a lava mill hmm. there as well. And so we did a lot of work together when I was at Brontis trying to figure out how to integrate with, with laboratories, uh, workflow and process and all that kind of stuff. So why did 3M want to work with labs? Why didn't 3M just buy the mills and do the copings themselves? I think 3M started out with a central... I could be wrong about this, but the, the 3M brand initially started out... I think there was a centralized milling center maybe in Europe or something. I yeah. think there was. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then eventually they, they saw this model to kind of syndicate or you know, distribute, you know, working through... Because the mills were too expensive for a small lab to buy, sure, like they yeah. like they were like they are today. So, yeah. so they came up with this regionalized model. You know, they were really amazing machines. I mean, they're incredibly well built, and you know, when you look at it today, it looks like it's a lot more than you need because they're the size of like a sub-zero a fridge, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. a small um, doghouse. <laughs> exactly. Any of them still running? <laughs> probably i mean those things are tanks they're like you know but the, really the thing is like as the industry transitioned yeah you know the the block was in a frame where you could only put one or two copings in that little block really? and so yeah it was a completely wow. different manufacturing model and it's only a three-axis mill and all that stuff so that you know where that was the state of the art it you know over the course of the the next several years became a little bit behind so yeah we all got to start somewhere right yeah, yeah. I, mean, they, I think they really kind of, they really pushed that transition. It also helped that gold was skyrocketing in yep. price at the time too. So it kind of really helped the transition to digital. I think they were a major reason for that. It's just that things changed so dramatically yeah. over time there. So then where'd you go? So let's see. So after we commercialized the product through 3M, you know, I had been actually sending Bob Cohen at ADT a bunch of work because I was doing tons of test cases with our customers. Mm -hmm. And so Bob was about five miles from my office. And so I spent a lot of time with, with Bob. And through our discussions, there was one day I said to him, hey, I think you should turn your lava mill, which he was using for himself. Mm -hmm. I was like, I think you should do a regional milling center. Huh. That was your idea, huh? Well, yeah, it kind of it's kind of a funny story because I I told him this and he goes, well, why don't you do it with me? And I said, no way. Um, <laughs> but I was like, this is my one stint in dental because I kept changing industries. I just like you know I like technology and and I wasn't like married to a particular industry. Mm -hmm. And so I said, yeah, no, the, the next industry is going to be something totally different. So he kept coming back and saying, why don't you do this with me? And I I just it just for some reason I just kept saying no, um, <laughs> and. You probably knew in your mind. 
Yeah. Exactly. You saw them in the lab and you're like, mm, yeah. Crazy. No, God, no, I don't want to do that. What, are you kidding me? I, you know, it's funny. It's like, I, I don't know what it was at the time, but one thing I really appreciate about Bob is his persistence. So he, he didn't give up. At one point I was like, look, you know, I tried to use this technique called the positive no, which is I will help you with the business plan. <laughs> But I'm I'm not doing this with you. And so uh, I, I put together the business plan with him. And in the process, I was like, you know what? Working with Bob's really fun. And this business plan looks really promising. So we put together a business plan. It was just to be a milling center. And we basically finished the business plan, you know, for, for whatever value a business plan has, you know, the business ended up being completely different at the end. But yeah. And then I said, look, I'll give this a shot with you. So just basically took a major risk and, you know, went into this business with him and it was really an amazing ride. Like it was pretty incredible. What were the milling center competition in those days? Procera, the word, I mean, now there's yeah. hundreds. Doesn't sound like a whole hell of a lot. Yeah. There's a hundred of them now, but back then. Yeah. Back then it wasn't quite, I mean, there were the lava milling centers, which cap became a lava milling center, which is, you know, anybody with this machine could make lava, which, okay. you know, there yeah. was a lot of uh, standardization. And like when you, when you heard you were getting a lava coping, it meant a specific thing mm -hmm. with the lava zirconia, the lava software, the lava, everything. So there were a bunch of lava mills in the u.s and probably i would say like seven or eight sort of major you know well-known milling sure. center issaquah was probably one of That's the, the one biggest. i remember issaquah. yeah just because of their funny name yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah no good good group uh you know i had met a lot of these people and regional access seemed to be you know really uh a really good thing and there wasn't too much in the northeast so it kind of made sense to try to to try to do that but yeah, and we tried to come up with some new products. Like uh, I remember we did some experiment with with titanium frameworks, uh, which was just incredibly difficult because of oxidation and all kinds of other problems. So like partial frameworks or crown and bridge frameworks? Crown and bridge frameworks. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 And we we did all kinds of like testing and experimentation. And you know, it's one of the cool things about Bob is that he's you know he has the the lab context, right? Like from building his laboratory and running it for so long, he understands what lab owners needs. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, from a digital and a software and a sort of a process automation standpoint, our minds together were able to come up with some, some pretty interesting things, but you know, not everything worked. So, you know, titanium frameworks didn't work out, but, you know, we just kept pushing on the business and evolving it with, you know, 3d printing. And then, you know, grew that milling center to be a, a pretty nice business. And then things shifted dramatically. At one point, you know, the, the cost of mills started going down. So, you know, saw this $250,000 lava mill, then, you know, you had these $160,000 mills coming mm -hmm. in. And then all of a sudden we saw this one from Roland that was like 30,000. Yeah. It was like, whoa, things are changing pretty dramatically here. So it was really an interesting time. And, you know, what we had realized is that customers who were being successful with us, they, Zirconia still was going through an adoption curve at the time. You know, when you think about it now, like Zirconia is so well accepted, but at the time it was, there were still people questioning it and yeah, wondering yeah. if it's the right restoration. So, yeah. so yeah, it was, it was kind of a, an interesting moment, but we found as, as labs were becoming successful and adopting it and 
getting their dentists on board with it, that they would eventually leave our milling center because they could make it themselves, right? As you, as you got big enough, there's a certain point where the ROI just made sense to bring it in house. Mm-hmm. And so for our business model, it's kind of a big question mark. Like, well, what does that mean for us? Cause we help our customers grow and be successful and then they leave us. That doesn't seem very rewarding. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for nothing. <laughs> when you realize that, like what way did you go? Yeah. So we realized like, okay, we have this milling center. We have all these great people who know how to run these machines. We started bringing in these lower cost machines because they were outperforming the bigger machines. So the Roland was like an awesome yeah. machine. And so we restarted running them. And then we're thinking, well, maybe we should start selling these things because yeah. you know maybe that's the next logical step. And so, yeah. cause we started to sell the three shape scanners and then we started to sell the Roland mills and so as our customers kind of grew and became successful, we could actually graduate with them to the next stage. You know, they didn't have to take on a quarter million dollar expense to bring the work in-house. They could just take on this, you know, this much smaller machine. And that machine, the ROI for that is so low, you know, relative to what it, you know, what it would have been to, to try to acquire a quarter million dollar machine. So, so it just made a lot of sense. And I think we were just there at the right time. And we did a lot of work to optimize that machine because when they first put those, that equipment on the market, it wasn't really well integrated. I think the minimum tool size was a one millimeter tool with a tool path that took almost an hour. Long time. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So so that, that kind of stuff is like great opportunity for someone who understands the workflow, right. To go in and say, we can try to optimize this. We, we'll use a, you know, smaller tools. We'll use our own library. We'll, we'll optimize the tool path. And I remember uh, one of our R&D people and I went in on the weekend and we just said, we're going to make this thing go so fast that we, we actually want to break tools so that it's going so fast. And then we'll dial it back from there. And over the weekend, we made it a much higher fidelity with a you know, 0.3 millimeter tool and we brought it down to 20 minutes. So the so like over that weekend, I remember it was a really special weekend because I think it made such a big difference for our business that we now had an offering where we had this roll and mill with this process and these tool paths and this this total solution that was like really compelling. How do you figure that out on a weekend? Like what do you do? In this particular example, you can play with what they call the speeds and feeds on the on the cam software. Uh, and so so we just went in and said, okay, we're just going to cut it deeper and make it move faster until it, until it just breaks. And then we'll know we went too far. And so, wow. <laughs> so you know, and we, we just want to see what it can handle. You know, the, the, the risks are things like chipping and tool breakage yep. and all that stuff. And all this stuff is now dialed in. You know, here we are, you know, many years later, and a lot of this stuff is dialed in out of the box. But back then, you know, it was, it was like, you know, Roland would give you a machine. You know, three shape would give you the scanner. You know, there's all these parameters and materials and you know different quality of tools and all these things that had to be figured out. So that's cool. So you take it all the way and then you pull it back a little slowly until you get to where you want to go. Yeah, from a milling speed standpoint, that's yeah. that was my approach. That was an approach. It's an approach I learned in Art. computer science too. It's like you just you you kind of push all the way to the edge, and then you know if you break something, then you can just come back. <laughs> It's, it's like a two-year-old, like testing yeah. women. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> and Roland just let you sell these with these 
I mean, in their eyes, extreme factors in because if they're selling it to take an hour and you're selling it to take 20 minutes. He's the smarter one. Well, yeah, I'm just surprised Roland's like, yeah, go for it. I don't know if, if I made it sound like Roland actually had set up the, uh, I might have I might have worded it incorrectly, but you, you get the, the mill, at least at the time when we were distributing this, this stuff, you'd buy the mill from Roland, you'd buy the cam software from, from someone else, oh, you'd buy the tools from yeah, someone yeah. else, you'd buy the materials from someone else. And so there's no real packaging being done because each party is sort of depending on the other to take care of it. And so at that time, there wasn't really, you know, this concept of an application engineer that was going in and saying, sure. we're going to make all this work together. That was our opportunity, I think, really as a business to bring something, you know, when they when talk about like a value added reseller, as opposed to someone who just takes something off a shelf and ships it, value added reseller plugs these parts together and makes them, you know, work in harmony in a way that makes sense for our customers. And that's that was really, at the end of the day, ended up being a really important element of our business. Wow. And I know you also supported the Three Shapes software because yes. the lab I was previously at, when we got into Three Shape, we got it all through CAP. Yeah. We, yeah, we got the scanners and the software. And I remember the customer service being amazing, the support. And I've heard it from multiple people. How'd you scale that? Uh, that was um, that was a really hard thing. I bet. <laughs> it was extremely hard. Uh, you know, I wish I could say there was like one factor that contributed to it, but I think it was really our focus on, on number one, the recruiting process of getting mm-hmm. the right people in the door. I love that answer. Just saying. Oh, thanks. <laughs> That's a great answer. It really is about the people at the end of the day. And we had a lot of filters on our recruiting process to try to identify people who were looking to contribute and make a difference versus those who were looking to punch a clock. Yeah. Yeah. True. And that's, so you know, it, it, yeah. And a little bit was selfish too, because those are the kinds of people I wanted to be around. <laughs> so True to that. Um, <laughs> so that was one major factor. I also think the sort of journey that we had set up in the business almost unintentionally, it wasn't, we didn't set out to do it, but it almost just kind of organically happened was we would typically hire new people into the milling center. They'd go through training and then they would do work in in various aspects of the milling center. And they would have their hands on thousands and thousands and thousands of crowns. And they would see all the things that worked and didn't work, what went wrong. And they're sitting next to experts who have seen everything that has gone wrong mm-hmm. and they would help each other learn and grow and, you know, be exposed to all this process and experience and root cause analysis and all these ways of looking at, you know, what goes wrong with this equipment and how to resolve it. And, and then we kind of had this nice reputation in the, in the, t- in tech support so a lot of people that were successful in the milling center, the reward would be to be promoted into tech support. And, you know, now when you call tech support, you know, from someone who's been in the milling center and probably made more crowns or copings than our customer, you know, that user ever will touch, right? Yeah. But it's very likely that when our technician is answering the phone, that they've already seen this problem multiple times before and can, you know, give the answer off the top of their head. 
that was a really important aspect. I think it's huge. Oh, yeah. yeah. So many people you talk to with the software, I've never seen the output of what the software does. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. And I, I don't know how you do it without that experience and context, because otherwise it's, you know, when you're talking to somebody on the phone for help and you know that you've used the product more than they have, it's like, <laughs> yes. this is not going to end yeah. well. <laughs> <laughs> How'd you come up with the name cat? Oh man, I had to tell you, there are two things that I do not enjoy is pricing and naming. <laughs> They're like <laughs> the worst exercises ever to go through. But Bob and I had a Google sheet and we just went through a brainstorm and just started dumping names in. Mm-hmm. And then I have to give Bob credit. I mean, he put in custom automated prosthetics and ah. I loved that the acronym was CAP. There was just something so like cheeky about it so we said yeah that's the one it was like a list of like a hundred yeah it was like an obvious winner so do you remember any of the ones that (laughs) didn't make it that would have been ridiculous like crowd makers or you know i can't remember it so long ago (laughs) but i bet we have that google sheet somewhere that we can oh that's great do you still have that it should make its way out someday Okay. Well, I'll look after this call and we'll, uh, I'll send it to you if I can find it. So how big did Cap get? We had gotten to about 75 people by the time we became part of Henry Shine. Yeah, that's a good size. I mean, I, I know we sent a ton of work your way back in the day. Yeah, the equipment part of the business and the consumable part of the business ended up being the majority of the business at the end. But the milling center was such an amazing R&D center for us and a great way to provide services to laboratories that weren't ready yet. So it was yeah. just, you know, so all those pieces just kind of fit together so well. But yeah, the the business had grown, you know, when we started, we, we basically had three people from Bob's lab move over to this entity and, and start with us with, you know, almost no customers. And then we had grown to servicing 1,500 customers with 75 employees by the by 2016. So, how quick did the numbers drop of the units you were doing as everyone else was getting their own machines? We had grown pretty rapidly in the milling center, and then it never dropped, but it the growth slowed um, because we were we were I hate this word cannibalizing, but we were helping customers move on to in-house manufacturing, yeah. in-house manufacturing. So we sold the machines. Yeah. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and and it was funny because in the beginning, sometimes customers were like, uh, before they knew that we were selling mills, because uh, there was a period when we decided to, but it, like not enough people knew about it. And so yeah. there were some people who were like kind of embarrassed, they were like, oh, I'm so glad that you, you sent out this email because I've been wanting a mill, but I didn't know how to tell you. <laughs> it's like, you <laughs> or something. So I didn't want to cheat on you. I didn't want, yeah, exactly. Well put, Elvis. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the numbers, I. It wasn't like a, in six months, you went from a ton to hardly any. I mean, it was. No, no, no. The milling yeah. center was always busy. And, you know, the thing is, you know, I think in any business, there's always a movement towards commoditization, right? Mm-hmm. So, so like, you know, it used to be copings. They started at $95, then they dropped, you know, over time to, you know, very low dollars. Then, you know, crowns kind of took the same path in terms yes. of like what it takes to mill. 
And yeah. so, and it's all, you know, as automation starts to do that, you have to kind of move upstream. So we moved into things like all on four, you know, custom abutments, like moving into things that are still on the edge of, mm-hmm. you know, someone being able to bring in house. So we always tried to fill our, our pipeline of new product offerings by looking at, okay, what's hard, what's complicated, what's, what's at the edge of what can be done easily in-house. And so we made sure that the milling center always had that. And as those technologies became, you know, lower cost, for example, 3D printing, right? 3D printing, we had $100,000 machines for 3D printers. And then all, all of a sudden, Formlabs comes out with this, you know, $5,000 machine. Yeah. And so, like, you just have to kind of plan that obsolescence, or, you know, plan that sort of commoditization in, into your business plan. I'm sure it happens in every industry. Of course. Yeah. Yes. So you mentioned you sold to Henry Shine. Why? And when was that? That was like, what, 2007? No, 2016. Was it that long ago? 2016. Yeah. All right. I was yeah. going to say. Yeah, because we started, we started CAP in 2010. Right. And oh, then what am 20, I thinking? Yeah, 2016 was... Uh, Donor. Was when we became part of Shine. Did that you do that? Good, right? Was that good or was that not good? I don't understand the, the beginning of this podcast when, <laughs> which will be edited. And and we all know, you know, that I'm behind the curve. Like Elvis is Mister, you know, ahead of the curve, and I'm always the one sitting back, going, "Ha! Huh, I didn't know that." He's the gossiper. Just saying. <laughs> it wasn't good. Yes, it was. I mean, it was a good thing for you know the company had grown. Right. Sure. The company had a lot of value. I mean, we Heck yeah. at, the, at the time we had built relationships with a good portion of dental lab industry. We had a, a nice reputation. And obviously when we never built the company to sell it, uh, we built the company to help, uh, you know, with a mission to help mm-hmm. labs thrive. Or, you know, we eventually discovered that was our mission was to help labs thrive. And, and we were very successful with with doing that and i think when you do that then other people start to say that's that's interesting mm-hmm. and we had been approached by actually multiple people i was gonna who say probably everybody <laughs> yeah so at some point you know there are a lot of questions about you know how far can the company go on its own would we be better if we were part of a bigger machine sure. would we be able to have more reach yes um, i would say yes know. on all yeah and i yeah. And I mean, maybe just to be vulnerable for a minute, I also all along this way, going from zero customers to 1500 customers, there was, you know, me being a first time CEO, very lucky to have such an amazing team and especially to have such an incredible business partner with Bob, mm-hmm. you know, not sure, you know, where I c- could scale. Like, you know, my, my experience yeah, that makes was sense. Yeah. getting from zero to a million dollars is like, kind of my sweet spot. And, you know, here we had gone well beyond that. And at several points, I was like, I don't know if I'm the right person to keep running this. Yeah. And, uh, I get and it. so, yeah, so that's, that was kind of all of that coming together and making that, that decision. And Henry Shine has a you know great reputation and a great infrastructure, certainly with things like warehouses and vendor relationships and being able to manage things at, at that kind of a scale, you know, it was very interesting to us yeah. to be able to do that. Yeah. So, so did you stay on board? Yeah. I stayed for a year to help with the integration. Mm-hmm. So to, you know, make sure that the cap team melded into, into the Henry Shine team. And then 
you know, made the decision to exit and go off and do some other stuff. Yeah. So let's go. Great segue. So what did you go <laughs> off and do now? So for a little bit, I just kind of, I took a little bit of a break. It was, uh, I felt like I ran a uh, seven year marathon. There, <laughs> so, um, you deserved it. <laughs> yeah. Heck yeah. And, and then I realized after, after three months of just sort of winding down that my brain was not made to be idle. <laughs> Your brain was not meant to be bored. <laughs> That's right. So I kind of went nutty for a little bit, but I had been, you know, toying with a few ideas and, and this, uh, this idea of analyzing behavior using data was always super interesting to me. So dating back to the network security company, we were building products to analyze network behavior and looking for unusual activity. Huh. And then at Brontis, we were analyzing customer scanning behavior and looking from a customer success standpoint, looking for indicators to see when a customer is maybe, you know, not having a good experience or might be at risk of, you know, being unhappy all the way through cap analyzing customer buying behavior. You know, when you scale up that fast, you need analytics to understand uh, what's going on with the business and what's going on with your customers and uh, customer success was a major department in our company which which was you know people who were responsible for you know making sure our customers were happy essentially mm -hmm. and you can do that by asking customers but there's also a lot to be learned in the data that you already have and i think we've all heard the adage that it's much easier to scale your business with the customers that you already have you, know, you always have to be you know bringing in new customers. But if you have a big retention issue, or if you're not getting sales in all the buckets that your business offers, like, you know, all the categories that your business offers, you're leaving a lot of opportunity on the table. And so all of this like behavioral analysis kind of stuff has been brewing in my mind for about 20 years. And after having some time to like, just take a break and just kind of reset, I, I made the decision to start this company, iCortica, which basically puts all of these kind of analytics in a box and you know, makes them readily available to business owners and sales reps and marketing people so that they can you know, quickly understand what's going on with their business and make sure they're having the right conversations with the right customers. So I come from a large lab. And we've got, you know, so many clients that we've got a lot of turnover. And I could see where if I had this in front of me and you can see where they just start slowing down and you catch them before you lose them. Yes. So you see them dip in their productivity, whether they're telling you or not, you're in their head going, okay, something's wrong here because they're not sending me the work that they were sending me before. You're right on, Barbara. Yeah. That's exactly right. And in fact, it's really funny. By the time that starts to happen, there's already something you know going on, right? Okay, like there was yep. there was something going on. And one of the things that was really interesting, we also do analytics on the notes that are in the CRM. Yeah. And what's really interesting is I spent so much time trying to correlate like you know remakes and late cases to customer leaving. And what was really interesting is in many cases the notes actually had the indicator in them already way, way, way before that dip started. 
yeah. which was also super interesting. So, you know, it's, it's kind of neat to, to, to be able to see like how much of this data is already in your, your system. And it's just a, it's really a matter of like, yeah, exactly. So you have a dashboard. So you, is it like a dashboard and it shows like, wow, explain it to me a little no, bit. No, let me chime in real quick oh, because of this, course. of course, because this is what brought Rob and I back together. So oh, nice. Derby uses this iCortica. So what it does is it takes your normal lab software, in our case, Magic Touch, and it's a separate program, but pulls everything from that software and puts it in an easy to read, easy to just glance at where you're at. Clients on sales and how much is coming in, how much went out, but you put in these notes and if you use certain keywords, it will like flag it. And those flags is where you can look through all your accounts and be like, hmm, you know, I see here that you use the term, I don't know what some of the terms that get flagged. Well, yeah, that, any bleeped word. (laughs) Pissed. I think one is, I wrote once and it it, it was like, oh, oh, that got flagged. (laughs) But it's just like this really cool, it's hour by hour it gets updated. Um, You get a daily email where it's, how do they do it, Rob? Uh, Well, how do you do it? Retain growth and gone or? Yeah, it it looks for growth opportunities, which are, you know, cross-sell and upsell opportunities, right? So customers doing, say, crowns, crown and bridge, but no implant work, right? So that's, that's an example of growth. Then there's recovery which is you lost a customer or you lost a certain category with a customer. There's recovery is what opportunities do you have to go get back from them? And then there's retention, which is exactly what Barb was talking about is, are there any indicators that are leading indicators that the customer might be heading in a bad direction? And, you know, maybe where the, you know, we call it the customer health, where the customer health is concerning and we want to have an intervention. So those are the three major of analytics. Cool. Yeah, but what's nice is it's easily glanced. I mean, well, what do you mean easily glanced? You got to read that sucker. It's a website with lots of bar graphs, oh, and I love those. It, it's just it's easier <laughs> to see rather than like you know in previous jobs. Let's say I wanted to see all the accounts that send us fixed but not removable. I pretty much got to look through all of them to figure it out. This is just a it's just up there. It's right there. You don't even need to do any digging. And it just, just makes it so much easier to see everything. So this, Glad you said that. <laughs> so this was your brainchild as you were sitting down? Like, how did you come up with the concept that the labs actually needed this to be able to pre- provide it for us? Yeah, who was complaining? Uh, well, it's, it's funny. Like, the really, the, there were two moments, I would say, at CAP, actually, where this was really crystallized for me. There was one where I was going through a report and I saw that we had one customer that had only ever bought one wax disc from us for $10. And I was, I was like, I was looking at this and I was like, you know, because normally a lot of times when you look at sales reports, you sort them by, you know, by dollar. Oh, sure. You you look at the top usually. I mean, I think we all like, you know, we we need some way to, to look at stuff. And a lot of times you look at your, your top customers and I hit the button the other way. And I was like, I was like, whoa, I know so much about this customer just from this one purchase. They bought a $10 wax disc, but I can assume that they have a mill. 
I can assume that they probably need tools for that mill. They probably need other materials other than wax for that mill. They probably have a scanner. They probably like all these things that I just learned from this $10, you know, lifetime sales number. And they're cheap. You learned that too. (laughs) (laughs) Only because your brain works that way though. Like you could have just been like, ah, that's all they want to buy. But instead you went further about everything else that they probably were doing, which is exactly, you know, so, and so I had been providing these reports to my sales team and I had one sales rep who was like, I just love this report so much. And it was this one particular report that I didn't personally think was, was super useful. And, you know, it, I was guilty of giving them too many different reports. I just sat down with them. I said, can you explain why you like this report so much? Because I, I just wanted to learn. And it gave me a, like a bunch of good insights on in how he's thinking about it and his approach and and all this. And so I was like, well, I should do this with the other reps. So I, I went to each rep and I said, which reports do you like to use? And they walked me through their favorites and why. And every single person had a completely different approach and a different thought process. And they were all awesome. Yeah. And I, but I was thinking there's probably for each customer, there's probably a good answer for like, what's the best next thing to talk about? Hmm. But they all had a different approach and they were probably all kind of hitting it from a different angle. And it's also unfair to them because they have to read through like, you know, 10 reports to try to find what they're looking for. So I was like, what if I just put it all in front of them and said, here's what's going on with the customer. And here are the three best conversations you could have with them right now. Yes. And and I was like, if I was a salesperson, that's like a dream for me, but I just didn't have the capacity at the time. to. I was like, that's a cool thought. And then it went away. And now, do you do it exclusively with Magic Touch? Currently, for the dental lab industry, I'm in other industries as well. Like, other, are you really? Like, yeah, yeah, but but for dental labs, it's currently just Magic Touch at the moment. Yeah, I've heard so many good things about that software. It's awesome. It, it's really, really, it's really great. You know, and it's designed really mainly around this operational workflow. But the, mm-hmm. so we complement each other pretty well because. You know, this kind of stuff that, that we're talking about, it's not really intended to provide those kinds of insights and analytics because they're they're really amazing at helping you get case from, you know, coming in the door to out the door and getting that invoiced and, and paid. That's why it's, it's a really good compliment. And I knew it so well because I used it for so many years at, at CAP. So I'm kind of Yeah, that's why I was going to ask you. How oh, you had Magic Touch. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yeah, we actually ran the entire business, even the equipment business on Magic Touch. No kidding. Oh, yeah. I'm impressed with it. I've only been, you know, at Derby for, I don't know, three months now using it. And it's nice. It's very user-friendly and it captures a lot of data. But the Icortica is what puts it in front of me. Right. And it's phenomenal. So tell us, Elvis. So you're a user of it. So how do you use it? And what do you do with the information? I don't really work, Barb. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Um, oh, I know you work. But like... <laughs> report which is obviously what you're doing what are you doing yeah so i mean i wake up every morning to an email of accounts that this software kind of signifies as either a potential they're slowly dipping and i think it's based upon like they haven't sent in a certain case within so many days or a certain amount Correct me if I'm wrong, Rob, but I'm just kind of going off what I know. And so I wake up to that every morning. But really, to me, it's I log in 
and I get a bunch of graphs. I mean, heck, I'm right in front of the computer right now. I can do it. And I mean, I get, and I can do it by my territory because, mm-hmm. you know, I'm only up in Indiana, but I get what the territory sold that day, what came in that day, how am I doing for the week, orders for the week, the whole month, wow. the whole year, average sales by customer retention who's joined us what have we lost and it's just easily scrollable and i'm sure the ones that i'm looking at individual labs can choose what they look at yeah i'm sure and then you can dive so much deeper you can click on it and then it brings up the offices that are in that graph and then you can get down to the cases and see what's come in i mean it's just easy as a salesperson or someone that's not in the lab to just keep up on things. So do you generate a phone call to the client if they start dipping by one of these reports? Are you immediately like, does it depends to call them and set up a a lunch and learn or something? Well, what it does is it, it provides me the ability to do an action. So a lot of these, you know, you'll look and it'll be like, this office is dipping. And then you see, well, this is, they always dip and they've dipped every day this month for the last five years long before it was there you know that kind of thing where not everything is an immediate crisis yeah but it puts it in front of me to acknowledge that either i can or i don't have to do something does that make sense yeah it does so in case your boss is listening he knows (laughs) no i (laughs) i hop on it every second (laughs) i call and send cookies and all sorts of You know, I think the thing that I also think about as a business owner is why did we hire salespeople? It it wasn't because they were data analysts, right? They it was for good looks, right? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) It's because they like to persuade people and talk to people and and sell. And ideally, if that's what they like to do and they're good at, if they had something to help them figure out, well, who should I talk to about what? You know, rather than making them do all the analysis, like let's help them spend their time doing what they're good at and what they're paid to do and what they want to do. And so that's that's a big part of this. But there's also, um, and you haven't had a chance to see this part yet, Elvis, but there's also an automation component as well. So if there are things like a cross-sell opportunity, if you want to say, okay, I want to take all the customers who are doing Crown and Bridge, but not implant work, I want to actually educate them on our implant offering, we can trigger automated marketing campaign to those customers. But it's not just a one-time campaign. It's more of a playbook where every time a customer comes in and after a certain amount of time, if they haven't tried the implant work, but they've only tried the crown and bridge, it will automatically trigger that playbook for that customer on a one-off, like just for them. It's not like a blast to the entire base. It's just to them. And this idea of being able to have very targeted marketing, if you sort of say like, I have a privilege to be in the customer's email inbox, and I want to make sure that I use that privilege carefully to talk to them about the things that are relevant to them, then I want to make sure that message is really well targeted for that customer. And so we can help to warm up that customer before you even call them. Because we can start to educate them about the fact that we've got a great implant offering and, and so on. I say, When I say we, I, you know, I'm saying like, you know, in, in your case in, in Derby. And when we have that kind of offering, then by the time you call them and you know they've seen that campaign and they've clicked on that link 
three times and and so on then you you know that that's probably the conversation you want to be having and so you know it kind of goes all the way down to the automated action standpoint and that's actually what the name of the company is based on it's the Ah. Like the motor cortex of the brain is the part that translates, you know, your desire to take action into actual muscle movement. So in the idea of the company, if, if iCortica is doing the, gaining the insights, it's helping you take action on that customer in the right way. So that's, that's basically the idea. Oh, that's pretty special. That's cool. Oh, thank you. So that's why you, yeah, you're way too smart for me. i love that explanation because you know i was gonna ask that's cool (laughs) thank you wow yeah it just allows you to be ahead of it you know just to stay on top of it and i don't think you definitely need a sales force to use this i mean there's a lot of labs out there that don't have a salesperson but to be able to keep up on this data so even if you're a smaller lab and the lab owner is also doing sales when he's on a phone with a doctor, he could easily look to see what they've done and what they haven't done without looking through a long list of cases. Simultaneously. Yeah. So you can have that conversation. Do a lot of the smaller labs use this program or is it mostly larger labs? You know, I was expecting that it would just be larger labs when I was first building it, but I'm kind of surprised that there are a few smaller labs using it. And in fact, one of my earliest customers, I actually told him, I said, I'm sorry, like, I, I don't think this makes financial sense for you. You're too small. <laughs> yeah. And I didn't mean it. And I just meant like, you know, you, you probably are more aware of your customer behavior than you'll get value from this. And yeah. He, he got mad at me and insisted <laughs> on getting it. And it actually worked out great. It actually was eye opening for me that, that it actually is, it is useful for, for a smaller lab, but you kind of have to have the right mindset about process and paying attention to it. It's the last thing I want is for someone to just get this and, you know, not pay attention to it. But, you know, in a case like where, like, for example, at Derby and, and particularly with you, where you, you pay attention to this thing every single day, that's, you know, that's what it's, it really works well in an environment where there's a commitment to, uh, to actually embracing it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just such a great tool. So the lab has to have magic touch. Yes. Do they get it through Magic Touch or do they contact you? And how do the people go about finding out more about it? So they would get Icortica currently through me. Okay. I'm actually uh, working on a on a partnership with Magic Touch to, uh, you know, maybe that will change in the future. But sure. But yeah, for now, uh, you'd get it through me. So if you already have Magic Touch, then you can reach out to me. You can send me an email at rob at icortica.com. How do you spell that, Icortica? Oh, yes. it. Good, good question. I-C-O-R-T-I-C-A. Ah, okay. Thank you. Or you can go to icortica.com and there's a button to schedule a demo. And there's a little bit of information about, about the product, but you probably sure. get the most out of, a, uh, out of a demonstration. Yeah, you did it for me when I onboarded with Derby. It was great. That's when I realized what I had, you know? So... <laughs> You know, I have to say, like, it's funny, you know, when you're, when you're early in building a company, kind of like sitting there thinking like, are people going to like this thing? Right. It's, it's just, you don't know, you get a blank sheet of paper sure. and I still get a huge thrill out of like, like the session you and I had where your, your eyes yeah. just got so big. I was like, you know, <laughs> it's very rewarding for me to see how much it, uh, it truly helps people. And yeah, you're no exception to that. So thank you. That's awesome. Awesome. Well, before we jump off and we're getting awfully close to wrapping up, 
I know that you are speaking at Vision 21 in 2023. I'm super excited. What the heck are you talking about? I was so honored that they reached out to me to talk about how to build a great culture and to acquire and retain great talent. I don't know if there was any other topic they could have asked me to talk about besides data analytics that would have yeah. gotten me more excited. <laughs> we got to keep people awake in Vegas here, buddy. That's awesome. I know, I know. <laughs> you know, I'm going to try to talk about some stories mostly from, from CAP and just how we, what our approach was for talent management and, and recruiting and, you know, how we built the culture that we did. Well, I mean, we talked about it earlier. I mean, you were known for great customer service. You had a great explanation on how you got those people and how you chose them. And all that can carry over into individual labs. I think it'll be a great discussion. Oh, thank Me you. Too. Can't wait. Do you currently have employees at iCortica or is it just you? It's me and uh, one software developer. There you go. That's a great culture you have there. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Thankfully, we get along really great. So. Awesome. Well, Rob, appreciate you coming on the podcast. Thank you. Thank great. you both. It's such an honor. I appreciate it. I encourage everybody, if you don't have Magic Touch, looking to get Magic Touch just so you can get iCortica. Check it out, iCortica.com. It makes my life that much more successful because of it. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you both. Awesome. And uh, we'll see you in Vegas. Yeah, we will. That's great. Looking forward to it. <laughs> Have a good one. You too. A big thanks to Rob for coming on our podcast and chatting with us, even after my partner, Elvis's, I'm going to say terrible introduction, but it's kind of just how you roll. So it is great to hear your story of success and how unknowingly you would change how our industry works with Zirconia. If you want to hear more about Rob and how he has set up a stellar culture and created some of the best customer service in our industry, still time to register for the Vision 21 meeting, January 19th to the 21st at the Area Hotel in Las Vegas. Guys, come on, Vegas in January, where would you rather be? But not only will Rob be there, but there looks to be a bunch of other amazing speakers rounding off this amazing and wonderful event to start the new year. And my best friend, Heather Voss, is the incoming NADL president. So we're going to come over and we're going to cheer her on. God help us all. I know. Head over (laughs) to nadl.org forward slash events for the details and to register. Congrats, Heather. Thank you, Rob. Absolutely. Congratulations, Heather, for presidency. It'll be an exciting year for everybody. Heck yeah. Awesome. Well, we will talk to you next week for our big 250th episode. Right on. Have a good week. (laughs) All right. Have a good one. Bye. I'm happy to give you this role. <laughs>